Hey everyone, Jennifer here. If you're one of those people that skips the beginning part of the podcast, I just wanted to let you know there's a brand new intro. So if you haven't listened, please do. And also, if you don't mind, please rate and review this show on any podcast platform that allows it, especially Apple Podcasts, because that helps the show find more listeners. All right, here we go. Uh, it's almost like, I don't want to put my mom into this mass grave. She deserves her own individual plot and memory. We don't do that not to compare to other conditions, but we don't do that with other conditions. And so people who have passed on from COVID deserve to have their, their grief individualized, which we don't for some reason, right? Like we've had to delay grief or we've had to like do an online thing and we've had to make concessions, but that's not fair. It, we They deserve the same treatment as everyone else. There was the last normal day, the last day that things were the way they were before they weren't anymore. kind of all rushed out of the house and said a quick goodbye and you know little did I know that would be the last time I hugged my mom. He yells and tells me he's getting ready to go. He said I'm okay just stay here I'll be home in a few hours. We tell him bye and he leaves. That was the last time we ever saw him. This like the minute that helicopter hit the air it just hit me what I was watching because I knew he wasn't coming home and he knew he wasn't coming home. For me, I took it more more personally because I'm a nurse practitioner and why can't I save him? I can help all these other people and why can't I save him? telling us that it was time, we needed to make a decision, we need to go ahead and just take him off the ventilator. And I was like, how do we know? One thing I like to tell people is that if you lose somebody to COVID, you need to talk about the person you lost or outlast other people's desire to hear about it. Make sure that our family members and loved ones' memories lived on. That's really important to me is that people don't forget. I don't want to forget any of it. So talk about them. Talk about them till people are sick of hearing about them. Because as long as, as long as you're still talking about them, they're never far away. And the last thing that my mom said is, she said, when you get to heaven, we will look for each other. Hello, everyone. You're listening to For Those We Lost. I'm your host, Jennifer Sullivan. Thank you for being here. If you've lost a loved one to COVID and would like to share your story on the show, please send me an email. My email address is for those we lost podcast at gmail.com or go to the website for those we lost podcast.com and click on the contact button and you can reach me that way as well. Also, if you'd like to help support the show, you can do that at buymeacoffee.com backslash for those we lost. That link is also in the show notes. All right, let's get started with this episode. Today, I'll be talking to Catherine in California. Catherine lost her mom, Diane Wise, on December 29th, 2020, in Toronto, Canada. Catherine talks about saying goodbye over a video screen and how important it was for her to get back to Canada to see her family 
and grieve with them. For context, we recorded this episode on May 25th, 2022. Catherine talks about McLean's Magazine in Canada and her mother's obituary there. I've included that link in the show notes. And with that, I'd like to welcome Catherine to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we are talking about your mom today, and she passed away in Canada on December 29th, 2020? Yes, she did. Yep. Okay. So I'm based in California, and she um, is in the Toronto, um, Canada area. So at that particular time, uh, there were border restrictions um, in terms of flow uh, for Canadian citizens to and from the country. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember reading about that. I don't know if you saw it, but there was this really neat news story about an international park that was in Canada and the United States. Gosh, I wish I could remember where it was. I think it was in Washington or Montana somewhere. And people who were on either side of the border would be able to meet in that park. Yeah, I think I remember hearing or seeing something like that as well. Um, And what a great experience for those families that were able to access it. So, yeah. Yeah. Lovely. So what I'd like to do is start, you live in California, which you mentioned, and you've been there for a number of years. You moved there with your family? I did, yes. Okay. And pretty well have always sort of felt that I've lived in two places, um, just because my heart is always in Toronto, but um, my family and my kids, um, my kids were born here, they're dual citizens now, but um, yes, our our other home is here in California. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go back to March of 2020 and talk about how you first heard about COVID and you talking to your family in Canada about it and, you know, how it changed your life. Mm-hmm. It, um, it was, it was like everybody. It was, um, I just remember hearing um, bits and pieces of this virus. And I live in a particular county in California, which was one of the first recorded cases of COVID um, in the U.S. And in fact, they've come back to say that it was actually present. They feel like more December. Um, but I feel like we've all forgotten that now. Um But um, at the time, my sister was visiting her family, her husband's family in New Zealand. So I was constantly in talk with her because she was supposed to fly through um, the city I'm living in to go back to Canada. Um, So I was getting excited about a quick visit with her. um, And all of a sudden, I went to go pick up my daughter at school on the Friday. And basically, the teacher said, okay, take your take your kids homework. She was in kindergarten at the time. Uh, you know, we're going to be shut down for a couple of weeks, but we'll see each other in two weeks. So we, I treated it as like a bit of a snowstorm, just was like, okay, we're home. We're going to just make the best of it. Um, my sister ended up quickly getting back to Toronto, didn't stop where I'm located, And I didn't see her, but I said, that's okay. We'll see each other in the summer. We'll just let this pass. And in speaking with my mom, you know, it was really like, okay, get your groceries, um, wipe down any of your groceries. I remember even sending her groceries just through an order service. She was able to get out, but I just thought being to be a good daughter, that's what you have to do at a distance when you're a caregiver at a distance. And really those first two weeks were just, you know, it was watching the news and New York was being hit really hard at that time. And um, it just started to become a bit more of a reality. But we had the kids home and my husband was home from work, working at home. And, you know, he was recovering from pneumonia. They, We don't know if he ever had COVID, but oh, he had wow. pneumonia in February. So we don't know if that was COVID, probably Um, because it was a very strange pneumonia he had. So it was just a strange time. And then just, um, you know, just neighbors seeing each other from across the street. We would do playdates with other kids, but we'd all be across the street from each other. Masks were not a thing in March 2020. Um, So we just kept our distance um, and just kept waiting for the updates. And then the kids were home for 18 more months. (laughs) 
Wow. Yeah, my kids are all grown and I have grandkids. I don't know what I would have done if I'd had small children at home during a pandemic. I often wonder. I think we would have had fun, but I also think it would have been so stressful. Yeah, it was, um, there were some real nice, beautiful nuggets and moments in there. I feel like the four of us really were quite a unit and we have neighbors who now we consider as family because you just went through that time together of recesses outside after doing online learning. And my older one, I mean, she left kindergarten and didn't return. She went back for the last six weeks of first grade. And then it wasn't until second grade she went back in person. And luckily we created experiences for her socialization and she had her younger sister. But, um, you know, some of that foundational stuff she missed out on and she's worked her tail off this year. So, but it's, yeah, it, it's been, um, not the childhood you imagined, but it's still, we've, we've made it work. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we could do is make it work. So when was the last time you saw your mom in person? Uh, it was um, the summer of 2019. So I had been planning to come uh, to visit her at Christmas time of 2019, but uh, we had a change in plans. And I said, you know what? It's just uh, let me let let's just make it a big summer, and we'll come for a couple months in the summer. And I was also hoping she would have. She, also, that was part of the plan too. She was going to try to come down in January 2020. Um, just to get a bit of uh, respite from being a primary caregiver um, and just to get away from the winter. And then when things started to, um, like people started talking in January, February, it was just sort of a a discussion of not the best time. So I was going to go, the plan was to go in the summer of 2020. Yeah, the summer uh, to see her. And, you know, I could kick myself because I did have, you know, even though there was a travel advisory not to go, I still know some people who are like, I'm going to make it work and cross the border. But at that particular time, we would have had to quarantine for like a good two weeks. Um, And there wasn't really, we would have had to Airbnb it because everyone, we didn't want to quarantine with our older parents in case we gave them anything. So the decision was like, you know what, let's just wait till there's a vaccine and some of the rules can change. So we just kept putting it off, Um, which in hindsight now, I just wish I would have made it work, but life. (laughs) Yeah, life. And I I did similar things. My son was going to fly out in March of 2020. And some of the very first cases in Oregon where I live were in my county. And he called me on the phone and was worried. And I was like, you know, I don't live very far from the hospital where all those people are. So if you don't want to come, I totally understand. And I ended up not seeing him for quite a few months. It is not the same as what happened with your mom, but we make those choices. And then we just have to sit with them. And they just, we just have to learn to accept them and hold them. And that's what we did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think there's, it's just, uh, you make those decisions and yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that your mom was a primary caregiver. Who was she taking care of? Oh, she took care of everybody. I think that was her fault. Um, Like her, not her fault, but like she was a caregiver to a fault. She was a caregiver to my stepfather who was or still is um he's still with um has not passed he's still here with multiple comorbidities and chronic disease and then she has had at that time two older siblings who uh she just had moved her older sister closer to her to um we call them long-term care homes in canada or a skilled nursing facility um is what they're better known in the u.s as So she was fortunate enough that she had two older siblings who were in their 80s um, who moved closer to her. And um, but with that, even though they were physically cared for, she was there, you know, go get me toothpaste or or, you know, can you follow up on this? So she was 
uh, a caregiver to three adults, um, which, you know, at 76 was a lot, right? Um, but she she took care of them and, yeah, she was a retired school teacher. So just naturally that caregiver. Yeah. That was just part of her nature to do that. Yeah. yeah. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about December of 2020 and um, what happened, how she got COVID and all of that. Okay. Um, and actually I had to correct myself. She was 77. <laughs> um, so uh, my mom, Diane, um, we, we don't actually know how she got COVID because she was extremely careful. We didn't, uh, my siblings would visit with her outside of the house. Um, she didn't, you know, socialize. We, we were the type of people that really listened to the rules, um, being that a couple of us worked in healthcare that we just knew the impact it was having, that we just wanted to make sure that we were doing our part. And also recognizing that my mom was older and my um, stepfather um, had many com- comorbidities. So we think um, she might have gotten it from the hospital because a couple of weeks before, so end of November 2020, early December, she had gone to a dentist appointment and she slipped on ice and hit her head slightly um, and had to go in an ambulance and go into the emergency room. Now, she had always mentioned that was it did she, she feels she blacked out before. So she was like, maybe I have COVID before. Um, but we're not, you know, quite sure. Um, so she'd gone to the hospital and was discharged later in the day and everything was fine with that. And then a couple of days after that, um, she started to report that she was sniffling and had a bit of a cough. And at that time that was COVID in 2020, like late 2020. So we were still figuring out the beast and it was still not the, it wasn't the variant it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was quite quick. Um, you know, I think it was around the Wednesday. Uh, she had said she was, had a cold and my sister and brother were trying to locate cause at that time the um, testing wasn't us. Um, widespread. So they were trying to find her a test and then they located, I think, a test on Thursday or Friday. She went on her own. My siblings were about to take her, but she, she managed to get herself to the test. And then that whole weekend, she, she just got weaker and weaker. Um, and I, I joke now, she, she ended up buying a lot of Amazon gifts. So I don't know if she sort of knew that something was going on, but there, <laughs> she just, she spent all weekend online shopping, getting the rest of the Christmas gifts in. So that was her though. Um, then on the Monday, she, um, she was pretty weak. And um, my sister called me to say that she was, had collapsed at home. And they had called um, 911. So the paramedics came, took her, she went into the emerge department. And by then she had been, had saturations of about 95, 94. And they were giving her oxygen. Um, I think at that point it was still through the note, just a nasty, like a nasal tube. She was doing okay. I managed to speak to her and they're like, they're just giving me meds. And then they were, the plan that evening was to discharge her home. She was getting stronger and they were going to take her back home. Um, but the physician felt that she, something was up with her breathing. And I think she had saturated down to 92 and then back to 94 and he, he didn't like it. So they kept her in overnight and then she just got progressively worse and then they admitted her. And then on the Tuesday, um, you know, she was in, uh, I believe a positive pressure room and she was in the room and she was just stable, but getting weaker and weaker. And then by the Wednesday, um, that's when my, uh, the respirologist was trying to get a hold of my sister, my brother, and, uh, to hear the conversation with my mom. Um, but no one, like it's no one's fault. No one picked up the phone. 
so she had to hear this discussion on her own, which um, I think is the the tragedy in all of this is that um, no one could hold her hand. Um, and so basically she declined to be ventilated. Um, and the respirologist was quite clear that she, um, that she probably would not have survived, would not survive the um, procedure. Plus her quality of life would be greatly impacted. And to be quite honest, um, that's at the time when people had to make decisions like who's ventilated or who's not. And that's not, um, that was never sort of the discussion with the physicians, but my mom in the summertime had always said that if it came down to it, like in the summer of 2020, I don't want a ventilator, give it to someone younger um, and whose quality of life. So she made that decision on her own. And um, so we spent the next, she passed away like 13 days later, but we spent, I'd say the next five days just um, virtually holding her hand. And, um, you know, the hospital care was really great in terms of, uh, you know, having a staff dedicated to the, like the iPad person, we called them, but they still had to like book a time and, you know, they'd set up the iPad and we'd talk. Um, But, you know, cognitively, she's not getting oxygen. So obviously she started to fade away. And we'd rip it off her mask to try to say stuff. And we would have to call the nursing station in a panic to say, you know, someone has to rush in there because she pulled off her mask and she's struggling to get air. Um, So pretty horrific. Um, And so when people see it on the news, it's absolutely 100% what happened, but like times 20 or a hundred. Um, and, you know, I think for me, I was disappointed in a lot of people uh, and who I knew who still were like, I have to do what's right for my family and would travel or not listen to some of the, the um, warnings. And you're like, there's not enough nurses and doctors because they're all testing positive. Like, let's just calm down society. Um, and there was no way I could get back to Toronto. Um, because I would have had to have quarantined. Um, so, you know, pretty well, we just did the math and it just wouldn't have, I couldn't get there. But we had, uh, you know, lovely time with her, uh, if it's lovely, where, you know, we played Neil Diamond and we played Ava. And at some point we were laughing going, she wasn't verbalizing it back to us, but she's like, stop singing guys or something. Um, but my brother was able to go and see her and give her water a few days after she was told, like, there's nothing more they could do three days later. And then another week later on Christmas day in the, at the night, my sister got in, um, to say goodbye. And then she passed four days later. Um, and the day before we were lucky enough to, um, have, more of a like a family goodbye where my stepfather was online and um she wasn't there cognitively she just wasn't able to respond but we said goodbye so to this day I still sort of feel like zoom is has this negative connotation for me because it's uh you know who has to say their goodbyes or who has to see a loved one dying in front of them through zoom. It's just not, it's not normal. (laughs) And so, yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm crying. I didn't think I'd cry. I'll be okay for the rest of it. (laughs) It's okay. I'm actually crying too. I just, I saw my mom on FaceTime with my sister and I remember the iPad was turned to the side and she was laying in a bed and we just saw her through the profile, her profile. She had her mask on because my mom had made very clear years ago that she did not want any kind of heroic measures, any life-saving measures at the end. And my mom was also ready to go. She had Alzheimer's and it's... uh. 
I, I took screen captures of those last FaceTimes and I still, I still cannot look at them. Uh, they're on my phone. If I need to go back and look at pictures earlier, I scroll and I turn my head to the side so that I don't catch a view or any kind of visual of any of those photos. But I always took pictures of my mom because um, she faded, you know, as people fade from Alzheimer's, the change is dramatic. Yeah. And I've been taking, I took thousands of pictures of her and I just had to, I felt like I had to take those pictures at the end. But yeah, it's, um, we sang to my mom, we told her we'd get her chicken wings when she got better and all the things, but she didn't, she didn't really say anything. She made some noises and that was about it. I like to think that maybe she was laughing at us, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, I don't even know what the word is to describe it with having to say goodbye online. Um, we, I'm, I feel fortunate that I think the day, a couple of days before she started to decline, I was able to say everything I wanted to say to her. And I knew she was still cognitively there, but but as time went on, you know, I, and I do have, you know, my girls were able to visit with her. I let them see her, but this was before she had really started to turn and have those pictures. Um, and then I think my brother has some recordings of some of her calls, but I just can't bring myself to, to, to see them. They're there if we want them. Um, I don't even think he's looked at them. I, and I, like you, I have those pictures on my phone and I scroll past them because that's not who she was. And, and like, that's not what I remember of her. Um, but I just remember in the moment taking those photos because I was so angry at people mm -hmm. <laughs> and being like, this is real. This is what's going on. And I cannot believe that as a family who did everything right and have been, have listened to the rules to do what's better for society, this is what happened to us. And, you know, I, I'm not as angry anymore. Um, but at that particular time I was just furious. Yeah. I, I, I hear that. I still, if I think about it too much, can get very angry, but I've tried hard to let it go because it really only hurts me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think with time and with growth and with grieving and figuring out how to grieve, because I still don't even know if I figured it out, um, but this is just such a weird thing. It's hard to grieve this because it's just... Um, you know, it's been delayed. We didn't have, we had an online memorial for her like a week, a few days after. And then when I was able to finally get back to Canada in July of 2021 is when we had, um, you know, a ceremony for her. But even then it was still like very distant, very small people with masks and, you know, it wasn't in a church, which she would have wanted, um, mm -hmm. you know, a Catholic ceremony. Um, but the, the nice thing is that when I went up to Canada, I spent a week at the cottage with my siblings and we went through all of her pictures and everything. Cause they had to clear out the house. Uh, I wasn't able to make it for that. So we had a good week of, of, grieving and just, um, healing, I guess is the best way to describe it. Yeah. So you had the complication of, um, was it difficult to get everything approved for you to go back to Canada in the summer? Um, not, well, it was, and it wasn't by the time I went, I was vaccinated double, like I had both vaccine doses. Um, my kids were not vaccinated. So we made the tough decision that I would just go on my own uh, just cause I just didn't want them to, to travel quite yet. Um, so I went through all the procedures and it was fine. Um, and you know, it was once I finally like saw my brother at the airport, I was, it just like completely was healing because 
it's difficult enough to care give at a distance, but to grieve, um, it was uh, different. Like no one here knew her, like she'd visited, um, but there's nothing really here that is of, is her. Um, so all those things that you do when you typically grieve where you walk into a person's home and you um, see the chair they sit in, that all helps people um, come to terms. And I never had that. And we, like, we had to pick up her, like, her house. And the, one of the things that helped me was my sister mailed me a shirt. Oh. And so I still have it. And it still smells of her. <laughs> and every time my kids try to grab it from me, I grab it <laughs> and say, no, that's, like, you don't touch that shirt. And it's, you know, I still have it. It smells of her. Um, so it's little things like that, um, which have helped. Um, but the summer actually really helped me going back and being with my siblings and their families. And then, um, unfortunately, my mom's brother passed in uh, October, November, and I was able to go again. And that helped me just have a few more days. And then my siblings were supposed to come here at Christmas and then Omicron happened, but then they all came in February. And with the exception of my niece, my sister-in-law, but um, that was all very healing as well, just to be together. Yeah, I can understand the Zoom fatigue and FaceTime, like not wanting to do it because it probably triggers like these thoughts of what you went through when your mom was uh, dying in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I think now I'm, it's, I have a different computer now that I try to use and I sit somewhere else in my house and it's stuff like that will help because I still have to use Zoom for work, but um, yeah. I think it's just the, um, you know, it's the delayed grief that, you know, we just don't ever really get with uh, one being in COVID and also being at a distance, but it's a, it's a different grief. And I don't, it's like anger mixed with fear mixed with just how did this happen? Because it's quick. Um, you know, most people I've met and you would know better than me, it seems to be three weeks is that, that time from first symptom to, to death, um, and how it tornadoes through a person. So. Yeah. And some people go so quickly and other people, especially after they've been ventilated can linger for weeks, weeks and weeks. And yeah, my mom, from the time she tested positive until she, when she passed away, it was 12 days. Wow. So, so I want to talk about uh, Christmas of 2020, which I'm guessing was not wonderful for you. And then also like that whole year that you went through and then coming back around to the holiday again in 2021 and how you coped with that and did you go through the days and sort of relive them or had you thought about it ahead of time and sort of came up with a way to move through that that first year um it was a bit of everything my siblings that was a reason why they were coming down here was they wanted out they wanted to get out of toronto to not have that memory. And so when we all made the decision for them not to come to postpone it, um, it was, it was difficult because I was faced with being here again. And I also, both of my daughter's birthdays are December 23rd and, um, and uh, December 26th. Oh my. And so, not only was I dealing with my mom dying in a hospital, we had Christmas, but I also had two birthdays that I had to put on a happy face for. So the village is an incredible thing. Um, and I don't think I'll ever be able to repay people for the kindness and just the um, picking things up and doing things for us during that time. But this past year, um, I think what helped us is that we, my family here, we moved 
homes. We had renovated a house, moved into it for Christmas. So for me, I didn't have the memory of the old place because that's where, to me, it was very dark. And and, um, so when it came to Christmas, yes, it was sort of like every single day after the 13th, I sort of like relived the feeling of like, oh, this was the last time I talked to mom when she was still like around us. Or like, this was the day that we serenaded her with Neil Diamond. So when it leading up to Christmas though, it was, it was tough. And then also with Omicron was in the news. So all of a sudden I just had this new fear in me again. Like, what is this? Why is this quick? Like, this isn't supposed to happen. We're all vaccinated. Like, um, and so I had to deal with the thought of the year anniversary, but also the, the fear of this new variant. Um, but, you know, my mom loved Christmas and she put on, like, she loved to take care of people at Christmas and she just loved to entertain. And I just knew deep down she would not want us to be sad forever. Um, and it's always going to be a heavy week. Um, so my sister actually says this, that she did not want to, she's like, mom did not want to die on Christmas. She did not want us to carry that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she managed to get through my daughter's birthdays and Christmas and find it the lull in the week, as we would say, right? Like the, the 29th, right? Is sort of that lull in that week. So it's, uh, I just think being around, you know, another family that we're quite close to and they're from Canada and it was just, needing to, to celebrate for my daughters. Um, and then on the 29th, we went to, um, a beach town that my mom absolutely loved, um, when she would visit. And so I had done that on the day she had passed. So I feel like it's, that's going to be my thing every year. Like I don't have a, um, people usually on the anniversary will go to a grave site, don't have that as part of my grief so I have a site that a place that she loved and I just sort of sit on the beach and talk to her yeah oh that's beautiful I actually went to the beach the day my mom passed away too because I found out in the middle of the night and um, she loved the beach my mom had this thing where she had to sit on the sand and then when she stood up she would say those are my butt prints in the sand she was so funny so funny. So yeah, I went out to the beach and I just feel like that's where I sit there and I look up at the clouds and look out at the water. And I just think she's out there somewhere. Her soul is out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. She, this particular town, it's, you know, it's, um, it's pretty magical and she just loved it and she loved the history and some of the celebrities who would frequent it. So she just, um, we would, I would love taking her there. And, you know, it's the morning she passed away. It was about 8 a.m. Eastern time and it was 5 a.m. here. And uh, every day my siblings and I, like we were constantly on a WhatsApp group talking and I would always get up and check in. And I just remember, um, being woken up between four and five that day, looking at my phone and didn't see any messages, but there was a big bright moon, like a winter moon. And it, the, the, the rays sort of woke me up. Um, and so, uh, and then I woke up like an hour and a half, two hours later, my sister's like, call me. And, um, they told me, so my sister got the call. And then, yeah, so it's that sort of, to me, like, I just remember this past December, though, the same sort of moon pattern, um, just that bright moon within a cool, cool night. Yeah. Do you feel like you and your siblings are able to talk about what happened and share your grief with each other? Or do you feel like you're grieving differently and find that a little frustrating? Um, well, they'll listen to this. So they're probably like, what is she going to say? I'd say um, 
I'd say that we've helped each other out like immensely. Um, we're constantly talking throughout the day and my mom, like owls remind us of our mom. So we always, whenever we're out, we see an owl. We're always like, Oh, there's mom. Mm-hmm. And especially those first six, seven months when you just would start crying for no reason. Um, or like for me, it would always be the three to four o'clock lull because that's when I usually would talk to her and my brother would be like, oh, give me a call during that time. Um, so we I, we're all very different, but I think that just due to our childhood, we just were close. Um, you know, it's a very it's a beautiful adult friendship that we have. You know, we're typical teenagers where there are times when, you know, one was off at university and the others wouldn't see each other. But as adults, we're quite, quite close. And I think that was, you know, we were, my sister always says this, we were our mom's love of her life. And she just would hate when she would hear siblings fighting as adults. And so that has always been impressed upon us, even when we had to deal with you know, her house being sold or anything like that. It's, you know, we've always maintained really good discussions and never argued because that would be the greatest disappointment to my mom if she knew that we were ever fighting or had grudges or anything like that. So we've helped each other out. Um, In in a weird way, um, I don't know if you watch This Is Us, I I watched a few episodes and I couldn't do it once the Alzheimer's came into it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not an easy show to watch, and I would watch it with my mom, and then when she passed, I stopped watching it, um, and it hasn't. I've only in the last month started watching it again, and that first episode back was really tough because it was my mom, but I feel like the way that that the mom talks to her children and the adult relationships. I, I feel, I see a lot of us in that show. Um, so I, I know I have about 15 episodes left and I've been warned that they're not easy to get through. So <laughs> I'll take my time, but I sort of view my mom as that Rebecca, um, like the caregiver to all and, and just how she was with her adult children. Yeah. Have you found any support in the COVID groups? Are you a part of any COVID groups? Yeah, my sister and I found a group um, maybe a month after she passed. There was a COVID group and we joined together. My brother found another group um, and I don't think his was specific to COVID. And we still connect every now and then with this group. And um, it was really helpful. I I spoke to some grief counselors. Um, they were okay. But I think once I found others who had experienced what we went through, because it, it's just not grief. It's all the, it's grief plus. Not to say my grief is worse than anyone else's grief. But it's really hard to explain this. <laughs> and just this heaviness. And even, you know, um, so they've, it's been helpful. We're all over the U S and my sister's in Canada and there was another, uh, there was another um, pair of sisters in the group. So we always had some good laughs over sibling um, sister discussions, but uh, it was, it was helpful. I think, especially in the beginning, just to hear other people have gone through this and now that you, you know, you hear a million people have passed now and like that, those whole cities are people gone, but think of it like there's at least for one person, at least 10 other people grieving the loss of that person. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in the United States. There's also Canada. And I, I am guilty of really not knowing what's going on in a lot of the rest of the world, because I find what's happening here to be overwhelming is probably the best word I could use. Just I can't even fathom a million people and all of their loved ones that are grieving. And and you also have that where 
you have this experience of this other country that you grew up in and knowing that there's people dying there and a community there of people that are grieving. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's, and I mean, I think that was the hard part is I, I mean, I, I'm a news junkie. I love the news. I love to learn about all things from around the world, but I've turned away from that in the last year. Like I just, I just had to turn it all off um, because two things became polarizing and I just was like, I can't, I cannot listen to this. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's a lot of people. I, I don't know where the numbers are at in Canada now, um, but it's still for the population. Even one is too many. Um, but, you know, I, I think we had mentioned this before. It's when, when you say, oh, it's a million people, and then people would turn around and say, but how many people die of heart attacks or or whatever? And you're like, that's just so not helpful. Stop talking. Yes, not at all. Because they were alive before they got COVID. So people like your stepdad even lives with comorbidities. He lives with pre-existing conditions. And there are people that have pre-existing conditions and get COVID and come out the other side just fine. He got COVID as well at the same time. Oh, and not even a sniffle. I mean, he had a sniffle. And I'm not saying that to be like, it's unfair or whatever. Like, I'm glad that things have, he's still with us, but it just shows you, you just never know, like with COVID, <laughs> you just don't know who it's going to, and, and particularly at that time, I feel like things might be a bit more predictable now, but in December, 2020, like there were no vaccines or only certain people had the vaccine then. And so it was a pretty vicious strain. And yet some people who you think would have been the people we'd protect, it wasn't as um, they didn't have a difficult time of it where others did. So, yeah. Yeah. Are there any COVID memorials in Canada that are going on that you know of, like the ones in the United States? I have a feeling that they're going to, they've been trying to put one together. Um, we, I have the person from our support group. Um, she went to the one in Washington and she was going to put a flag for us, but then she realized she couldn't because my mom was technically in Canada. Um, so I think there's still um, the desire to put it together. And I believe that there is, it's in talks, but it's not as uh, large as the one that's in Washington right now. Yeah. And did you submit her name to any of the other ones, I know that there's memorials here in the United States that encompass anybody who wants to send a name in. Have you participated in any of those? Um, she was um, included in one in um, Canada, and it's a McLean's Magazine, which is like our Newsweek, I guess is the best, or Time Magazine for Canada. Um, and one of her work colleagues, or teaching colleagues, put in her story um, and so that was lovely to see. And then I've put in, um, and I just heard back from the New York, I guess it's the New York Times or New York Magazine. Um, that one, they didn't care where the people were. Um, so I was able to do that. Yeah. Um, and in fact, uh, we have a little, it's not really a scholarship. It's a little award for a student from her school uh, that she taught at. She's been retired but we went back to the school and said we'd like to give an award to a student and give them like even like a hundred dollars. And basically it's an award given to the graduating student out of grade eight who, who demonstrates, um, I can't remember the exact words, but basically the student that uh, is a friend to say everybody that, oh. you know, it's not necessarily a popularity contest, but someone who, who sees kindness and, and that and others. So, which was my mom. She, she didn't, <laughs> she, she was everyone's friend. Yeah. And you had told me she was a teacher and a librarian and she had a nickname. Do you want to go ahead and tell us that? Yeah. Her nickname was Mama Owl or yeah. So every now and then when I'm out and I see an owl or anything owl, um, 
it's a bit obsessive right now. She, I have two owls in my garden. And so I have this big owl by my tomato plant. So I keep saying, saying to her, <laughs> protect my tomato plants, but it's just stuff like that with signs. And, you know, all of our, our friends would call her like the wise owl, mama owl because of our last name. And she really, um, she instilled that, like she would have, you know, friends would come over and we would be in another area of the house. My mom would sit down and have a conversation with them. Like it was always a safe house. Um, my parents were divorced. My mom hadn't remarried until we were in university. So for us, it was that sort of that special time, which, um, you know, she was a single parent in the late eighties, early nineties, which was, you know, not as common. And, um, you know, we just had a special relationship with her and her, and our friends had that special relationship with her. Like everyone knew my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's funny is when we were looking at the current house that we live in, I, we were looking at it and deciding if we would buy it. And I went outside and there was an owl statue in the garden. Oh my <laughs> so goodness. I said, there it is. And it's hideous. It's not the most attractive <laughs> thing, but it's still in my garden. So I still keep it out there because that's my mom watching over my, my garden. Yeah. Oh, wow. That that's a sign for sure. For sure. Yeah. So what do you miss the most about your mom? I miss her laugh. She was funny. And I don't like I don't think she realized how funny she was. She uh, she was shy at times and, you know, probably at times wasn't always in relationships that, um, highlighted her abilities to be that funny or that person in the room that could be that funny, but she loved to have family gatherings and she would always make sure that you were celebrated on your birthdays. And when I just know, like when I'd get together with her or we'd go anywhere, you just would laugh because she'd find something funny in everything. Um, and sometimes it was a bit self deprecating, but, um, it, it, she was just really, really funny. And I just wish she knew how much she was funny and how much she was loved that, you know, like we are all so proud of her. Um, so probably that, and she just had like wisdom, like she was smart. She, um, like if it was nowadays, I think she could have gone on to be like a PhD in something. Um, but she was super smart. She just know, knew a lot about a lot of things and took genuine interest. Like we would always joke whenever we would travel and we'd come back and we'd send our photos or, or we'd have photos. My mom would look at pictures for hours and the details where, you know, we would just skim them. She would pick out details and want to know the stories and, yeah. Now I don't have that. <laughs> yeah. But I hope I do that for my girls. So I hope I can continue that. Yeah. Yeah, that's what moms do. My mom influenced my life a lot. I think they do. And I I have a relationship with my kids, all three of them as adults now, that is very, very close. They're all so different. And I find things to love and appreciate in each one of them. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's because of my mom. It's, I had a hard relationship with her growing up, but in our later life, we really mended all of that and got to know each other. And I feel like because I had a hard relationship with her, I made a point of getting to know and appreciating all of my kids and building this relationship with them. And then that made my mom and I so much closer. And I just, you know, I wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for her. I wouldn't have had the relationship with my kids. So we pass it on. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom was, had an incredible gift of um, really harnessing our individuality. And I don't think she was, um, wasn't very explicit in how she did it, but we're all pretty different. And she, she was proud of all of us, um, in our different capacities and what we've done. And I know that I've 
I've tried to instill that so much in my daughters to the fact that like this past Easter, I said, oh, we have to make sure we do the Easter egg hunt um, grandma style. And it was like each kid got a room and there was a certain amount of Easter eggs they had to go find. And my mom was all about, you know, everyone was equal. And um, that was how, you know, my mom was that everyone was treated the same and kindly and fairly, but she celebrated all of us. And like, I really, you know, seriously, like she had three kids who all went on to university and careers and, you know, we, we stayed out of trouble. So, you know, and she, and even if we were like, she just, she just had a, a knack. Um, and I remember when she passed her, one of her best friends said to me, you know, can't have moms forever, but it was too soon. And it really was like, she, she was 77 and I know that we'd always said that that was the worst thing about COVID when people would say, how old was she right after you'd say, <laughs> you know, my mom died of COVID. Oh, how old was she? And did she have any comorbidities? Um, yep. But it was too soon. She, she was just, she was still living a lot of life. Um, so, but I always have that thought in my head that we'll, we don't have forever here. So, um, it's just unfortunate. It was that way she was taken. Um, but we're also fortunate that we had time to say goodbye. You know, my sister and I always talk about that. Like we always thought if she would have had just like a, a, you know, a fatal heart attack, we would never have had that time to say those things. So is there, if, if that's a little bit of positive in all of this, then I guess that's it. So my last question is, what do you say to people who tell you that COVID isn't real? Um, I've learned to just, I don't think I'm actually really good at that, <laughs> but I've just learned to say to them, I'm really, I'm sorry you feel that way. Uh, and it's pretty flawed logic because there's numbers, right? And um, I'm fortunate that I don't surround myself with too many people like that, or I've just not talk, not talking to them. I, I don't think that that's where I have my challenges lately. It's more in the people are tired of COVID and people are like, I just want masks off. I just want to get back to normal. And I feel like that's where... Um, I, I'm still struggling how to deal with that because I'm tired too. <laughs> yeah. But it's almost like cheating on my mom, if that makes sense. You know, like we, but we can't live in that forever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you say? <laughs> well, I learned in one of my COVID support groups, and I know this sounds silly, but one of the facilitators told us that we could say, ouch when someone hurt our feelings, like when our feelings were hurt by something. So I actually used that on someone who, you know, was, oh, I had COVID and it was fine. That's what they said. And I was like, ouch, my mom died of COVID. You know, that's, I, I too don't surround myself with a lot of people who think that way. And I have told people on more than one occasion that it is not a flu. It is not a flu. My mom had the flu and she had it many times and she lived through that every single time. COVID was not a flu. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you had said that you felt like you had PTSD from the experience and were like upset by people, some people's response to your mom's death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, that's not a diagnosis that I've had, but but I think that, you know, even like six or seven months later, it's almost like you need to move on or, or, you know, just think positively <laughs> that toxic positivity. And you're like, not that I want to remain in this negative space, but that's just not acknowledging any of these feelings or anything like that. And, and I think sometimes and people mean, well, they try to compare uh, the death of their loved one to the death of my mom. 
And I, while I appreciate that and I'm so thankful for that, it's truly not the same um, because of just that period of grief that, you know, I think that's where the PTSD, not only from saying goodbye online through Zoom, but I think the grief period that there's still, there's still trauma in that grief period because it was not normal grief. We didn't have the ceremonies. We didn't have the tangible touch and the hugs and the closure of a life um, that helps you um, heal. And so that in itself, I feel like has created this longer delay or this, and we're also living in COVID. So it's just, yeah, I think I'm better than I was like three weeks ago, better than I was six months ago, but I still feel like there's things that I just, I can't, I can't talk about or I don't want to talk about because it's just, it would be triggering. Yeah. Well, I did in this episode, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you did. Yeah. I think as long as, well, I I don't think COVID's going anywhere, but there are reminders uh, almost every second, practically of every day that COVID is here and my, you know, our moms, died of COVID. And there's, for me, sometimes kind of a, I don't know if desperation is the right word, but I, I'm so desperate to like, hold on to her and make sure. And I'm, I don't know if you feel this way that she just doesn't get lost in this sea of people who died and is not remembered. Yeah. I, I, I can see that, that, it's um, uh, it's almost like I don't want to put my mom into this mass grave. She deserves her own individual plot and memory. We don't do that not to compare to other conditions, but we don't do that with other conditions. And so people who have passed on from COVID de- um, deserve to have their their grief individualized, which we haven't, which we don't for some reason, right? Like we've had to delay grief or we've had to like do an online thing and we've had to make concessions, but that's not, but that's not fair. And we, they deserve the same treatment as everyone else. Yeah. Well said. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Sorry, I was crying there a bit. <laughs> oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's part of the healing, I think. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it was um, my sister was the one that found the podcast and suggested I contact you as part of the healing. So I appreciate you and I appreciate um, her for suggesting it because I do think it's important to tell the story and to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I um I know that they will listen cuz you mentioned that and so I'm I hope that they they feel like when they hear your mom's story and you talking about her that it brings some healing for them too. Yeah, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will for them as well. And that's the show everyone. If you've lost a loved one to COVID and would like to share your story on the show, please send me an email. My email address is for those we lost podcast at gmail.com. This show won't ever have a members area or episodes that you have to pay to listen to, but there are expenses to hosting a podcast. And if you'd like to help, you can support this show at buymeacoffee.com backslash for those we lost. The link is in the notes below. If you like this episode, please share the show. Share it with your friends, share it on your social media, and once you've done that, rate and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And then go rate it on Apple Podcast, because that's where most of our new listeners come from. Ratings and reviews are the main way this show finds new listeners. So please, share the show. Until next time. <laughs>